Hello, and welcome to the Wild Blue Podcast, perspectives on aviation lives, lifestyles, and business. Well, welcome back, everyone, to our uh, latest Wild Blue Aircraft Sales Podcast. My name's Todd Mitten, uh, Aircraft Sales Advisor here at Wild Blue, and I'm seated next to Chris Kerr, owner and aircraft sales advisor at Wild Blue. Chris, how are you today? Good, Todd. Yeah, looking forward to this. I'm having fun. Yeah, this uh, new idea that we've started out of doing a podcast is uh, not only fun for us, but we hope brings some enjoyment to some aviation fans, those of you who might be interested not only in aircraft ownership or aircraft sales, but certainly a lot broader topics. We want to just talk about aviation and, and topics that that we find interesting in aviation, and so hopefully you will too. I mean, we will mention that if you have an aircraft you'd like uh, to sell or you're looking at uh, purchasing an aircraft, give us a call, 816-479-2723, or check us out on the web at flywildblue.com. So we started the last podcast, and, and we gave listeners an opportunity to learn a little bit about my background and and so just to kick us off today why don't we talk a little bit about your background Chris you uh I know you started flying at a young age you you mentioned that a little bit the other day in in the podcast we did and and you started at a young age and then you went on and flew in the military and so on so how how'd you get into flying you know I'm one of those uh I'm one of those geeks who always wanted to fly ever since I was just a little kid and uh, my granddad who was a World War II navigator on the B-24 had an airplane he had several airplanes and we he took me flying and I think that's really what sparked it for me because there's not a period in my life where I don't remember being in an airplane I I always remember being in an airplane he'd he'd take me up and, and he taught me probably some of my worst habits as a young pilot, which we'll have to do as a different a different podcast. You know, he was a fearless World War II guy, and nothing bothered him. Uh, lots of stories there. But, uh, yeah, when I was a kid, he had a 172 and a 182, kept him out of the Gardner Airport uh, in Gardner, Kansas. And so I grew up around there a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, as, as I got older and wanted to learn how to fly and do that kind of thing, uh, you know, I started, uh, we lived in Chicago, uh, for a period of time when I was in high school. Oh, you did? I, did not, I guess I did not realize. Yeah. That. Yeah. We lived outside. Well, my dad had a business partner in business and we lived outside of Chicago, actually in St. Charles. And so, okay. um, you know, where the DuPage County airport yeah, is. Yeah. So it's, it's nothing then like it is now. I didn't have all those South, the, the, the South parallel runways, uh, that go North and South. Right. It just had that North complex up there. So I started flying with what was in Chicago Beechcraft, and uh, I remember my mom telling me, my folks are divorced, I remember my mom telling me she had the grand sum of $500 in a savings account for me, and did I want to use it for, for flying lessons? And so I said, yeah, I do. So I you know, took ground school and then started flying when I was 15, and then it was kind of, kind of like what you were talking about after that. It was pretty much uh, after that money ran out, which, you know, 33 bucks an hour was the uh, the going rate for the beach skipper then, and I think I paid $18 an hour, because that, that math is right. It was right, 51 bucks, I think, an hour all in uh, at the time. 
And so that money ran out after about 10 hours or so. Then I had, yeah. to, you know, had to get the job. And so I got... What, what job did you end up <laughs> I worked for my dad. He had a, a business where they, uh, they converted letterpress presses to offset presses. So any of you that might be in the printing industry know what that is. But uh, they converted a number of bigger newspapers around the country. The Kansas City Star at the time, they did. Um, and so I worked in the shop back there, putting components together, cleaning, being a grump boy, you know, whatever. You should have learned to print money. That would have, <laughs> that, that would have served you, baby. I still in, haven't figured that aviation, one out. <laughs> in aviation, as we all know, that would have served us a little bit yeah. better. But uh, So that's interesting. I did not know that you lived in Illinois. Now, so uh, where did you get your pilot license? I mean, where did you take your check ride? So we, we moved back to Kansas City by then. Uh, let's see, what was I, a junior in high school, and uh, started flying with executive Beechcraft out at uh, what was then, uh, what did they call it then? I think, Johnson uh, County Industrial. Yeah, yeah. It's New Century now, and then before that was Olathe Naval Air Station. But uh, Johnson County Industrial, executive Beechcraft out there, because I was part of that, you know, that whole beach, uh, what they call it? Yeah, beach, the beach uh, flying pilot. club, uh, what did they call that? Something like that. Anyway, anyway, so that's where I flew and got my license. Uh, you know, it's a funny story. Probably another story is I, I failed my first, my first and only check ride I've ever <laughs> failed um, was my very first one. Uh, my instructor sent me down to the FISDO, which at the time was at... Uh, Fairfax, Fairfax yeah, which is for those of you not in the Kansas City area, but if you're familiar at all, the uh, Kansas City downtown airport sits right along the Missouri River. Well, right across the river is the state of Kansas, and Fairfax Municipal Airport sat right there. The two airports were literally a mile apart, and years ago they built B-25 bombers yeah. at that airport, and uh, then they, uh, now it's, it's long since closed. It must have closed in the late 80s. And, I think so, yeah. And it uh, is, a, is a General Motors plant today. So so there was a FISDO office there. Yeah, and I mean, if you fly over it, you, you can still see the run, some sure, of the runways yeah, over there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was a FISDO office over there. So I flew down there, and I remember it was, it was warm. It was not too long after my 17th birthday. And I go down there, and we never got airborne, right? The guy failed me because... You said I was taking too long to flight plan. Well, you know, flight plan was kind of one of my favorite things. Just spread the sectional out over there and, and trying to get it all just right. And I think, I don't know, I'm not going to make any excuses for it. I, I failed it. <laughs> so Well, it's funny you say that. We can all interrupt you and say that the guy passed me and I'm like, well, I have 70 euros. And he goes, but if you'd have taken this check ride with someone else's Moline, I don't remember the guy's name. Of course, I don't remember any of their names. It's in my logbook. But uh he says, I don't think you'd have passed. So I, I feel your pain right yeah. there. Yeah. So we uh, so I went back, you know, and kind of my tail between my legs. And my, I think Greg Harper, if I remember right, was my instructor at the time. And um, so we uh, went through all the stuff so he could sign me off again. And he's like, all right, well, this time it's going to cost you. We're going to send you to a, a designated examiner. Which at, the, at the, that time, now this is what, 1983, 84? And it was Ron Albertson. What's interesting is Ron is still giving check rides. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so, we'll, we'll have to invite Ron to talk. I would one love day to. There's a, there's a guy we've all taken check rides from in the Kansas City area, and a guy that is a wealth of aviation knowledge and uh, interesting 
interesting person to talk to. Someday we'll talk to him. Yeah, I would love to. Um, so we, you know, I went over there and took my check right with Ron, and he signed me off. And then uh, the very first thing I did is I got back over to IXD, and nobody was around to go fly uh, except my grandma. And so I, I drove over to their house. They didn't live too far away. And I said, Grandma, you want to go flying? And, you know, I mean, you know, here's Grandma's oldest grandkid, and she had no fear. And she goes, yep, let's go. You know, oh, her 17-year-old grandson. That just that made my day. I still yes. remember that. So I took her up in the, in the beach skipper. And, of course, she flew with my granddad. And, you know, he was, he was fearless when he flew. And so I don't think I don't think I phased her at all. <laughs> so and and real quick, what did you think of that beach skipper? That's an airplane I've never flown. You know, of course the Tomahawk. I flew the Tomahawk. Okay, so they were they were my... very similar. They right, were very okay. similar. It was underpowered. I think what it had the O two hundred. Yeah, something like that. It was a little heavier, I bet, than the Tomahawk too. I yeah. have to look that up. But uh, Beechcraft tended to overbuild everything. It was, uh, you know, it was a. It was a nice flying little airplane, as I recall, and it was very comfortable. Had, yeah. had a little shoulder room yeah. in it. Kind of a terrarium. I remember getting really hot in that thing. You know, the, oh, yeah. all those windows. Yeah. Like, you know, the old, uh, what was that AMC car that looked like a fishbowl? The, pa- uh, the Pacer? Yeah. Yeah. yeah kind of looked like yeah. that. Yeah, it did. So, but it was, you know, but you couldn't spin in it. It didn't, I don't think it, it was certified for spins, or we never did do them. I never did do spin until later. The tomahawk, I'd spin that as a flight instructor and turn around and look at the tail and go, please hang on for another one. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was an okay little airplane. Well, that's interesting. Uh, you know, I, they had a beach club, aero club. It was a beach aero club is what we were trying to think of. Yeah, there you in, go. Uh, in Moline when I was growing up in the, in the late 70s and early 80s. And one day I rode my bicycle out to the airport. I've talked about that in our previous podcast, how I would ride my bike to the airport. And I remember uh, getting a ride one day because of the Beach Aero Club. They, uh, I just was hanging out and an instructor invited me, but it was not, a, obviously not a skipper because there was, he was a student and it was a, uh, a beach uh, uh, musket, not maybe it was a musketeer or sundown or one of the other, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, might have been a musketeer. I don't remember, but anyway, uh, so that was my exposure to the Beach Aero Club. Yeah. So anyway, you ended up uh, getting your license then, and, and obviously you went on to the University of Kansas. We've talked about that. And you got into ROTC at KU, right. Air Force ROTC. Right. Yeah, got into ROTC, and I actually wanted to go to a, a flying school and had been accepted to Southern Illinois. Yes. And told that to my dad, and my dad just looked at me point blank, and he goes, well, I'm not paying for that. And so uh, probably one of the best things my dad ever did, he goes, we're going to go over and we're going to talk to the ROTC folks. So we did, and, uh, you know, kind of a funny side story to that. We, we pull up, I was a senior in high school, we pull up over there to the military science building, yes. and we no more than park the car, and here I start getting this massive nosebleed. <laughs> and, and it was kind of a thing that ran in the family. I think our capillaries or something really close to our skin. Anyway, my nose starts bleeding, and he's like, oh, my gosh, we can't go in there with you look <laughs> like this. So we sat out there in the parking lot and got me all cleaned up. But, uh, yeah, so he, he directed me into the uh, uh, into the Air Force. And, you know, he had a – my dad passed away last year, but he, he, you know, guided me in a lot of right directions. 
And so we were talking about the military. He was a former Marine. I was going to ask you if he was ever in the military. Yeah. yeah. So he had a he had a great way to put it. Because I, I was like, well, you know, what what branch do I go into? And so he had a great story. He goes, well, he goes, you know, it's your choice. He said, but let me just tell you a story. So when when we would go places as a Marine, you know, training or wherever, he goes, we'd get in this Air Force airplane and we'd fly to wherever we're going. And we'd get out of this airplane. They'd pretty much just drop us off somewhere on the field. And we'd pitch a tent. We'd build this little <laughs> thing there, you know, and, and that's where we'd stay. And he said, you know, then one day I, I look across the airport and I see these guys get out of this airplane that they just brought us in. And they walk over to the Holiday Inn van that picks them up and takes them down to the Holiday Inn. <laughs> and he said, so, you know, I'll let you decide which way you want to go. So that was, uh, it was a no-brainer. It reminds me of that meme of the, how the stars are important to the, the military. And, and uh, they talk about the Army or the Marines looking up at the stars from their, uh, their outside of their tents and so on, and, and stars are important to the Air Force. And how many stars hotel is that? That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yes. Well, yeah. so uh, so you went through ROTC and were commissioned a second lieutenant. And and I know at that point uh, you went uh, to Vance Air Force Base in Enid, Oklahoma. And I don't mean to skip over any parts. Well, in fact, you know, we should talk about, did you fly while you were in college? You had your license, yeah. so I assume you went. Yeah, I flew. I flew a, uh, kept flying there at the Beach uh, Aero Club, but then I also kind of uh, transitioned and kind of just flew whatever I could fly. Uh, had a uh, one, I'm trying to think what that was, one, it was a 172 Reams rocket that I flew down <laughs> in Ottawa. That was, a, if I remember right, a 210 horsepower 172 built in France, at a constant speed prop. And so I flew that. That was a, that was a little hot rod of an airplane. My grandparents had a, uh, they had 400 some odd acres down in Rantoul, and we had a, mm. a landing strip down there, so I would fly down there a lot. And, you know, I flew that 152 that we yeah, talked yeah. about there. Uh, did a little bit of commercial training until I realized, you know, I'm just going to let the Air Force pay for this. Uh, Sally Mosley, and I don't even have any idea what happened with her, where she is. She was, she was an awesome instructor. She was a lot of fun. And so did a little bit of flying with her, too. And then had, actually, you know, I don't even know if you knew this, but I was supposed to go to navigator training. Uh, I, I didn't have the eyesight to pass. Uh, and I didn't get my pilot slot until, gosh, maybe a month or two prior to graduation from KU. So I was just going to go to the nav training route, try to, you know, try to get the pilot training from there. Well, the, you know, I, I and before I lose my train of thought, I want to mention that you mentioned that Reams rocket, you know. Now, every once in a while here in, in the aircraft sales business, we'll run across an airplane like that that's kind of a, uh, a, oh, a oddball, oddball airplane. <laughs> well, someday we'll have to talk about some of those that yeah. we run across. And uh, it just, my mind went to that. So so you did head off. You flew some in college. And, and I know we have, off, of course, offline talked about some interesting stories and, and lessons learned as, as young pilots and, and uh, one day you and I will sit and talk about that and share with the listeners some of our dumb moves and moves we learned from but uh, but today kind of continuing with the introductory uh, you went on to Vance Air Force Base and and started flying uh, T-37s I would say at that point correct yeah 
Yeah, that was in 90, 1990. Started uh, as a class 9106 advance and had about an eight month wait after graduation from KU to, to start. Uh, worked, um, worked at the First National Bank there in Lawrence and then started pilot training on the T-37 and T-38, graduated in March of 91. And then uh, they kept me as an instructor. So I ended up being advanced for uh, right at eight years, I guess. Uh, total, seven as an instructor, more or less, and uh, and then the year of pilot training. And then, I, you know, I had to do that six months of uh, instructor training and then water survival and land survival and all that. Yeah, we could talk about survival school someday, <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, yeah that'd be uh, For our listeners that, that happen to be uh, familiar with the military, that was... Uh, they understand that is a not the best experience in your military career. So, uh, what'd you think of flying it? That T thirty eight. I mean, that had to be a handful. I, I don't know. I, I unfortunately, you know, my career was as a navigator. We've discussed that, and and so I never got to fly a thirty eight. Never ridden in one. Uh, what was that like? You know, it is a kick in the pants, and it it is such a cool airplane. It is a pilot's airplane. Yeah, no autopilot. Oh. <laughs> All of it's hand-flown, you know, at the time. And I, I understand maybe some of this has changed with some of the upgrades they've done to it. But, you know, at the time, if we were going cross-country somewhere, we would, you know, we were cruising to point nine Mach. And, you know, you're hand-flying that airplane. And, you know, at point nine Mach, it doesn't take much for you to get off altitude to where you got to worry about being violated. Yeah. Uh, and so, we, you know, that was always, as an instructor, you're always worried about that. You know, next thing is maybe the airline job or whatever. You didn't want to have it, but you know it's it's fast. I mean, it flew everywhere. All of our pattern work was done at 300 knots. Uh, you know, we we would uh, do a loop in that airplane, and the entry airspeed in that airplane is 500 knots indicated. And you know, I mean, you could just the wet, you just just the, the wind noise across that airplane was amazing at the time. And then you go right back to 5G's, and a 5G loop at 500 knots is a 10,000 foot maneuver. You know, so you needed to give yourself plenty of room to not go popping out the top of the MOA there in the you know, time was Kansas City Center's airspace. And so everybody knew real quick, like, where the uh, the altitude switches were on the transponder <laughs> if it looked like you were going to go out at the top of the MOA. You could, uh, you've probably gone supersonic a number of times in that aircraft, yeah. I assume. Yep. We used to do a boom ride with the students. And I, I understand they don't do that anymore. Oh, is that but, uh, right? Yeah, there's some change in the I don't know. I, some change in the aerodynamics. They changed the inlets, I think, and uh, so the airplane is does not do supersonic, at least intentionally anymore. But yeah, we get up to you know you get up to 1.3, and you go through show the guys you know the differences and how the airplane reacted. And, and it was fun. It was a pretty short ride because you were in burner a lot, and uh, you know, you're moving right along. Did it take a while to accelerate to that speed, or did it pretty come up to that pretty quick? It quickly? came. It, we did it pretty quick. We did it in a descent to keep, oh, okay. you know, to, to help you out, help us out. But we started. I think we started up in the 30s. I have to go back and look at some of my stuff. But we would start out in the 30s. We were outside of Vance's airspace. We were in Kansas City Center airspace doing that. And so we, you know, we started a descent and full blower, and uh, you know you. Transition through the uh, speed of sound through mm -hmm. through Mach one, and kind of do a few little things here and there, and then just kind of demonstrate some of the uh, aerodynamic features of the airplane. And you know how any airplane is going to react because it reacts a lot differently. 
and then you pull out a blower and you, you turn around and come back home. You maybe log a 0.6 or a 0.7 oh, you're just wow. burning so much gas. Now, what uh, was the highest altitude you ever reached in that airplane? I think 45 was the highest I ever went. Uh, they really didn't want you going much above 39. The plane was very susceptible to compressor stalls. Oh, okay. But uh, I think 45 was the highest I ever got. You know, you were an instructor pilot in the T-38. We kind of glossed over the T-37. When you got there at Pottery, how was that? I mean, was that a, a, a challenge? I mean, were you were you in the middle of T-37s going, I, oh, this is this is not that bad, I know I'm going to be fine? Or were you at a point ever where you were like, I'm not sure that I'm going to get through this? You know, that's a good question. And I had a... Uh, <laughs> I had an idol of sorts. I had this guy that I had gone through uh, ROTC at KU with. He was, you know, kind of, kind of a goofball, and so I, and he made it through pilot training. And so I kept thinking, you know, if that guy can make it through pilot training, I can make it through. The biggest challenge I think I had early on was trying to adjust the military way of flying, and the fact that you go out there. We, you know, when I started hitting the flight line, it was getting hot. So it was probably the end of May, first part of June. You know, it's hot. If you've ever been around a tweet, the T-37, you know, at the time, this was in the early 90s, that airplane had 35, close to 40 years of people throwing up in it. <laughs> and it smelled like puke all the time. And you, so you, you get out there, it didn't have air conditioning, and it was just, it was kind of miserable. It really was, you know. So that it, it flew like a big Cessna. It was a nice flying airplane, but man, alive! It just the environment with it just it sucked. Really, it was just yeah, not really enjoyable. I bet that was not a lot of fun. And and it's funny you mentioned uh, using. And I think this is good advice for uh, our listeners who might be thinking about pursuing a pilot license. Uh, or, or maybe you're already a private pilot, but you're considering uh, an instrument rating or something. But what you said about uh, thinking about others who have gone before you that have been successful, that's always been a, a, something that's motivated me, too, in, in aviation and, and other aspects. That if that guy can do it, <laughs> I can do it. And so... Uh, it's it's a it, just a little. That's a good piece of advice I think that you you gave the listeners there to, you know, as you pursue your aviation interests and dreams, others have done it ahead of you and and successfully done it. You can do it too. So uh, you were how many years did you get total uh, in the Air Force? In the Air Force, it was right almost exactly eight. Eight years. Yeah, almost exactly. And did you just walk out of? Uh, uh, Enid, Oklahoma, right into uh, training in Atlanta. I did. Uh, Brand X uh, based in Atlanta. Brand X based in Atlanta, yep. Um, exactly. My my uh, date of separation was my hire date. So I was very, very fortunate uh, and, and started that uh, simultaneously. Didn't have any delay at all. What airplanes have you flown for Delta? Um, I was on... Uh, as new hires on the Mad Dog, the MD-80, MD-90, and, uh, and then I flew the 737-200 for a year down at our operation in Orlando back in the late 90s, and then back to the to Mad Dog. So I've got, you know, I've got a lot of hours of time in the Mad Dog, probably uh, 
17 years and well over 10,000 hours in that airplane. Um, and then uh, 737 MG as well. So, uh, by the way, were you a captain down there or in Orlando way back then? No, no, I could have been. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of junior guys down yeah. there, but I, you know, I, I didn't have any of that airline background. Some of them did, and I just I really wasn't comfortable with that idea. Yeah. Uh, so then, really, uh, probably the an interesting facet of all this is uh, you made a decision to start a company. On your own, nobody else involved, I don't think, initially, uh, to get into aircraft sales. Why don't you tell us how Wild Blue became a vision of yours and, and uh, you know, where it's gone and, and where you're headed. Sure. Yeah, this is this is actually the third startup that I've been a part of. And so the first one, well, you know, here's let me just share this with you. And you've heard this before. But, you know, when you're in the airline business, I was told years ago by people, um, have some kind of backup. And not if you're furloughed, but when you're furloughed, press forward with whatever it is that you're doing. And don't ever expect to go back. Uh, if you get called back, great. Now, fortunately, I'd never been furloughed. But I always took that advice to heart. So a number of years ago, probably 15, 16 years ago, uh, I started appraising uh, airplanes and then um, had a customer who wanted me to sell his airplane. And I really enjoyed that part of it a lot more than the appraising. Uh, and shortly thereafter, I got hooked up with a guy that was a friend of mine in the Air Force at the time uh, on the business aviation side. So we had a company that we were building that uh, did uh, flight department setups. We did audits of flight departments. We did a little bit of appraising. We did a little bit of building manuals. It was kind of a support function for corporate uh, aviation. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, that lasted for several years. Uh, I realized that I wasn't too well suited to being a partner, uh, at least in that aspect. And so I left and then, uh, and then started Wild Blue. So I've been doing this for what, 15, 16 years with Wild Blue. And, um, you know, just getting to meet the people and, listen to their backgrounds and their stories and what they use aviation for, you know, what they're doing in their businesses and stuff like that. It's really what inspires me to, to, to do what we do. I, I will agree that that is one of the best parts of our job here at uh, Wild Blue is meeting people from all aspects of life who have different and varying degrees of interest in aviation. You know, when you're in a sales business like, like we are here, you're going to meet people who love airplanes and love being around aviation. But there are other people who, who airplanes and aviation is, is a tool for the furthering of whatever their business or lifestyle is. And uh, But what we have an opportunity to do, what I find interesting, is that we do meet people who are successful in a lot of uh, realms, and, and we learn from, from them. And I'm sure you have, over the years, taken a lot of uh, those ideas and, and incorporated them right here into to yeah. what we do at Wild Blue. Yeah, everything's a lesson learned. You know, that's one of my big things is, look, you know, you know that. We, we take each sale, in fact, we we, uh, we have a debrief on it. And we do. What, what did we learn from it? What lessons, what can we apply, what can we do differently? And so a lot of that stuff has worked out. It's, it's an old military thing of just kind of looking back and, and um, uh, 
evaluating the, the strong strong suits and the weak things and, and the, what you can do better. So. Well, in fact, as, as you know, and, and from our military and professional pilot type backgrounds, we, we call those after action report. And we yeah. do look at each, uh, each uh, transaction that, that we are a part of and we look at how we can uh, uh, be better the next time even. So, uh, uh, and those I think are good ideas. I know you're always looking for new and, and different uh, thoughts in and where to go with, with Wild Blue. And in fact, this uh, idea of the podcast is a combination of, of that where we, you know, it's a, it's a further opportunity to explore different aspects of aviation, I think, and, and also have some fun because that's something you've always emphasized. And I felt the same way that uh, having fun in aviation and in what we do is, is very important. I mean, obviously, we take it very seriously, too. Our customers, their their needs and wants and desires, but uh, but we're gonna enjoy ourselves as we yeah, do yeah, this. That's, a, that's so important. I don't care what it is you do, but you know, especially I can't when I look at it as you know we're around airplanes. We love airplanes. Uh, if it gets to the point where I, I cringe when I see an airplane, or I cringe when I pick up the phone <laughs> to talk to somebody, yeah. uh, then it's probably time to you know go look at working at Walmart or something. Something something different. Yeah, exactly. The and we're not at that point right now. And that, that does bring up the last kind of topic I want to I want to discuss a little bit. Uh, and I'm sure we'll go further in the future on this kind of topic. But you know, you've uh, uh, you are an aircraft owner. You've been a club flying club member, and you're an aircraft owner too. And so, uh, what uh, what are your thoughts on aircraft ownership and and uh, the ups and downs of that? Well, there's there's a lot of it. And I, what I'd like to say is let's let's save that for another podcast because you know you're an aircraft owner and have been a multiple yes. aircraft owner as well, and uh, I think we got a lot of things we can share there. Uh, but let's let's save that for for another episode if we can because there's a lot of uh, man, there's a lot of jewels I think that uh, we've both learned over time, and frankly, we've got a lot of learning to do because I had somebody tell me one time years ago. Uh, you know, there are no experts in aviation. There's only those who <laughs> refuse to quit learning. And that's very true. So whenever I hear somebody claim to be an expert in aviation, the hair on the back of my neck goes up. Because that means that you, to me it means anyway, that you've stopped learning and you think you know it all. And, Boy, that's, uh, that's well said. And, and I will say that you mentioned that we don't want these podcasts to run too long. And I think we've about reached the end of uh, our time on this today. But... Hopefully you all as listeners have enjoyed learning a little bit about Wild Blue and particularly about Chris Kirk's background and, and how uh, Wild Blue came to be. Again, if you'd like to talk to us more, though, just uh, feel free to give us a call, 816-479-2723. I'm Todd. He's Chris. Uh, Mac is also available. And... Uh, we'd love to chat with you about uh, your aircraft or your questions uh, uh, regarding aviation. So thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for listening to the Wild Blue Podcast. Find us online at flywildblue.com. And don't forget to subscribe and share.